I am so unbelievably excited right now. I just got a blue snowball speaker for Christmas from Joe and I'm really excited to edit this and see how much better of quality my voice is because I know you guys love hearing my voice all of the time and it was just a really thoughtful gift and I'm just really excited so I just had to sneak that in there real quick in case anybody listening has a podcast um, I will let you know how this goes so without further ado because I was just so excited to use this new microphone I decided to throw in a quick episode about something that I am like extremely intrigued by I don't want to like call this my favorite thing because it's morbid and I don't think that murder should be like there's no such thing as favorites um but this case has made me like go down rabbit holes like on reddit and on tumblr and forums and all these different kinds of places like I just I have to talk about it and I want to know what everybody's opinions on it are um so this is an unsolved murder and some of you may know who it is right away and some of you may not um but I do want to give a quick trigger warning uh, obviously, we talk about murder. We also talk about rape, incest, as well as child trafficking. Um, so, without uh, further ado, let's get started. Uh, the setting is Los Angeles, California, 1947. So, just keep that in mind when we're discussing this entire case that L.A. during this time was not anything really to brag about obviously LA is the place that people even today go to get famous and that's important to remember but we also have to discuss the LAPD and during this time it was not looking good for them so just keep that in mind so on the morning of January 15th 1947 just before 11 a.m. a woman was walking with her child in an LA neighborhood and that is where she discovered a body just a few feet from the sidewalk and at first the mother thought that it was just a mannequin that was dumped uh, because of the way that it was positioned at first was really weird and it was extremely pale upon walking over towards what she thought was the mannequin she realized that it was a body that was sliced perfectly in half at the waistline and it was covered in lesions heavily mutilated and had zero drops of blood in the body it was completely drained now the LAPD came and they began their investigation but they did ask the FBI to help and the FBI identified the body as 22 year old Elizabeth Short in less than one hour now technology back then you know it's kind of like unheard of identify a body in less than an hour however her fingerprints were already on file in their database because she did apply to a government position and after she applied to a government position she was arrested in Santa Barbara several months later for underage drinking now the FBI had her mugshot and they wanted to release it to the public And this woman was originally from Medford, Massachusetts, uh, which is absolutely entirely across the country. When the coroner arrived, 
the coroner determined that the body had been deceased for about 10 hours, maybe a little bit less. And upon examination of the skin right away, they realized that the body of Elizabeth had been washed before being placed at the spot, besides being drained completely of her blood. Now, the press ran with this story as soon as the FBI released it. And the press named her the Black Dahlia due to her sheer black clothing and resemblance to the movie The Blue Dahlia. And the LA Record, a newspaper, carried case updates on its front page for 31 consecutive days. This was the biggest story in LA at the beginning of 1947. Absolutely everyone was talking about it. It was almost like romanticized. Like people were concerned that this woman was brutally murdered, but she became famous. And it's honestly, it's tragically ironic because Elizabeth Short did move from Massachusetts to LA to make it big. And it's tragic that this is how it happened. So... Elizabeth is transported to uh, the coroner's office where an autopsy is performed. Now, basically what they realized is that the way that Elizabeth's body was cut, it was cut in such a way that it had to have been someone with medical background or some sort of animal background, a hemicorp corporectomy a hemicorporectomy I know that's a mouthful is basically a procedure that slices the body beneath a lumbar vertebrae which happens to be the only spot where the body can be severed in half without breaking a single bone now I'm in nursing school but let me tell you I couldn't do it I don't know anyone that could do that um so this had to be like a very skilled person to be able to do this. Um, they also realized that shortly before her death, uh, she was forced to eat her own feces, um, which is absolutely just so degrading, um, extremely personal. It felt very, very angry thing to make a victim do before you murder them. In addition, uh, flesh and pubic hair were taken off her body and forced into her vagina and rectum. Her uterus was entirely removed and there was the most chilling part of this poor woman's murder is, and this reminds me of uh, the Joker and Batman, a long gash was placed across her cheeks which extended her smile in a very creepy way. They call it the Glasgow smile. And it is chilling. You can find pictures on the internet of basically what this smile looks like. I honestly, I didn't want to see what this poor woman looked like. So I, I didn't look into it. But I know that you can find it. So basically, with absolutely no evidence no trace no nothing of who it could possibly be no leads the police found elizabeth short's death a complete dead end and it went cold pretty quick there was only one witness 
And the witness was a man that was interviewed by Detective Ralph Asdell saying he spotted a man in a 1935 light-colored sedan at the crime scene the night before. Now, LA's pretty busy. I mean, the streets are busy. This was kind of more on the outskirts of LA. Um, it really just wasn't common, uncommon for someone to be driving late at night in LA. I mean, it's it's like New York, the city that never sleeps, you know? So the police were like, we're going to run with it, but it's literally all we have. He didn't witness a murder. He didn't uh, hear a woman scream. He heard nothing. All he saw was a car. That's it. So what's interesting is because of the publicity that the press brought to this murder is that 60 people confessed to being the Black Dahlia murderer. And it was mostly men. However, there were some women that confessed. And the LAPD, with the help of the FBI, basically narrowed down a list of 24 suspects. But again, the case went cold. They had nothing to go on. They, they had interviews. They had interrogations. But they didn't have enough evidence to even point them in the right direction. So January 21st, 1947 comes around. An anonymous call from a suspected killer comes in. And you say that he was having fun in the pursuit by the police and to expect souvenirs of Elizabeth Short in the mail. Now, this is where, like, it gets really creepy um souvenirs is typically a telltale sign of a serial killer a lot of people that murder other people in throughout their lifetime they usually keep souvenirs it could be underwear it could be a lock of hair it could be a license i mean some of the craziest murderers in history had souvenirs and or returned to the crime scene um, it's just a really big trait and I thought it was really interesting that this person that called the police and masked their voice told them this, that he had souvenirs. So on January 24th, just a few days later, an envelope is discovered for the LA Examiner, which is a newspaper, with letters and words from newspapers cut out saying, here is Dahlia's belongings, letter to follow end quote. This is scary. In the envelope was Elizabeth Short's birth certificate, business cards, photographs, names written on pieces of paper, and an address book with the name Mark Hansen embossed on the cover. Now, the packet was cleaned with gasoline and partials were pulled but compromised in transit. Frickin' of course, because like, you know, the one time that the police think they have a break, you know, incapabilities of some of the investigative bureau's employees just happens to get in the way. So that's just, that's just so convenient of LAPD. And that made me a little bit suspicious at first, but we're going to go over some of the suspects out of the list of 24 that really just peaked my interest. Now, on that same day of January 24th, a handbag in a black suede shoe cleaned with gasoline 
were found on top of a garbage can two miles from where Elizabeth Short's body was discovered. This guy or this woman, whoever killed the Black Dahlia, was thorough. I don't think that this killer had Elizabeth Short's murder as the first murder on his or her hands. There's no way. And honestly, they have to be intelligent. They have to have some sort of scientific background to be able to cut her body, to be able to remove organs, to do the things that they did to her, and cover their tracks as well as they did. I mean, the crazy. So on January 26th, the examiner received another letter stating that the killer was going to turn himself in. Now, the letter stated, you know, when and where this person was going to turn themselves in. So on January 29th, which was the date they were supposed to turn themselves in, police waited, but no one showed up. At about 1 p.m., the examiner, meaning the newspaper, received another letter that said, quote, have changed my mind. You would not give me a square deal. Dahlia killing was justified. End quote. I don't know. I think there's some circumstances where a lot of people can argue that murder was justified. I mean, when we're talking about you know, rapists and pedophiles and all different kinds of people under the sun, you know, crimes of passion. I wouldn't use the word justified, but the last sentence, Dahlia killing was justified, just did not sit right with me. This person knew her. I know that her murderer knew her. And that's usually the case when we're talking about murderer. And it's usually done by someone you know. Rape, murder, a lot of the times, statistics speak. It's usually somebody you know. So, that was it. That is basically the overview of the Black Dahlia murder. So, let's get into some theories. Now, the first theory I looked into was possibly Black Dahlia's murderer being the same murderer as the Cleveland Torso killer. And basically, the Cleveland Torso murders took place between 1939 and 1938. But for whatever reason, basically, the LAPD just discounted any connection with the Cleveland Torso killer. Um, But I thought it was just kind of weird. There's just a lot of similarities. Um, And from my understanding, the Cleveland Torso killer actually said that he was leaving um, at the end of 1938 permanently. So it's just a little bizarre to me that this kind of happened nine years later. Just knowing that probably this isn't the person's first time killing somebody or at least dealing with dead bodies. I'm not entirely sure, but let's get into the second theory. Leslie Dillon He was a bellhop who was a former mortician's assistant. Interesting, right? He was associated with a guy named Mark Hansen. And if you remember from the evidence that the FBI collected from that envelope, there was an address book with the name Mark Hansen like glossed over onto that address book. I don't know why I just had a brain fart, but I'm leaving it in there. I'm not editing it out. 
you're going to have to deal with it. So Mark Hansen. And basically, Mark Hansen and Finnis Brown, who was a lead detective for the LAPD, were corrupt and always worked together. That's interesting. So basically, this author suggests that Elizabeth was murdered because she knew too much about these men's involvement in money laundering in hotels. And this author also suggests that Short was killed at Astor Motel in L.A., where owners reported finding one of their rooms, quote, covered in blood and fecal matter on the morning of Short's murder. L.A. Police Chief William Wharton denied the connection. I think that it totally could have been another murder. Let's just think about L.A. It's a rough city. There's a lot of crime. There's a lot of murder. It could have been anyone. But the fact that it wasn't really followed up upon, no tests were done, no investigation was done. Basically, the police chief just came forward and said, no, nah, we're just, we're discontinuing looking into this. Like, it's not happening or whatever. So basically, that fell short despite the address book having Mark Hansen's name on it. But I guess that's what happened when, you know, you've got connections. So... Now for the person that honestly, I think, did it. Or at least had some sort of involvement in it. Because this person's lifestyle, he was involved with a lot of celebrities, a lot of politicians, a lot of police. And was basically like, just your townie like I don't know what you guys call them but like people from my hometown that like never leave their hometown and do the same shit they do every weekend they're known as townies because they never fucking leave but everyone knows who they are and everyone knows their business whether they think they do or not so I think wildly this guy did it or at least had some sort of involvement in it because the just his whole profile just turns my gut. So let's talk about Dr. George Hodel Jr. And some of you that have watched the TV show, I think it was on like TNT or A&E, something like that. Um, really interesting, really focused on this guy. He basically came under the LAPD radar in October of 1949, which is two years after Elizabeth Short's death when his daughter Tamar accused him of molesting her. He basically was accused of raping her and impregnating her and she needed to have a back alley abortion because abortions were illegal in the area during this time. And even though three people testified that they had seen Hodel having sex with Tamar, he was acquitted in December of 1949. And it's really sad because uh, there's a podcast available. It's called The Root of Evil. And I believe it's like 10 episodes or 12 episodes. And I believe they're like an hour to an hour and a half long. They're really interesting, but they are very triggering um, as far as sexual assault, incest, molestation, 
um, basically George was like a celebrity. He would host these sex parties, which were basically just giant orgies with celebrities and photographers and prostitutes and basically anyone that was willing to do drugs and have sex during this time. And basically he came into the LAPD's spotlight because of his daughter's allegations against him. They were really looking at criminals that were suspected or known to have committed sex crimes in the area and they were being investigated first. Uh, They felt that because of the pubic hair um, inside of Miss Short's uh, vagina and rectum that it was just really personal and very sexual and they wanted to narrow down the sex criminals first. So on top of that, Tamar actually alleged that her father was the Black Dahlia killer and Mr. Hodel's medical degree also aroused suspicion basically because of the way that Elizabeth was killed it had such an intense degree of surgical skill that only someone like George really could have performed this I mean this is a skill that would take decades to perfect I mean someone that is either in the field every single day or has murdered a lot of people and had a lot of practice so basically um at least eight people came forward that claimed that they had firsthand knowledge of a relationship between Elizabeth Short and George Hodel in 1946. And it's just, it's really bizarre. <clears throat> Basically, the LAPD and the FBI file that was revealed in 1950 about the Black Dahlia murder said that Hodel was the prime suspect of the Dahlia murder. His private Hollywood residence, very bizarre. You should definitely Google images. The uh, DA and LAPD basically bugged his apartment. I mean, I'm sorry, his home to listen in on his phone conversations and his conversations just having with other people right in his home. And basically, the most disturbing thing is that George Hodel Jr. was on the radar for killing another woman. And it happened to be his secretary. His secretary died of an overdose. And Additionally, his secretary knew that he was committing financial fraud. He was basically billing patients for drugs and procedures and what have you on things that they never had done or were never prescribed. It is really sketchy. And the DA recorded him saying this quote. And it's very chilling And I'm going to get into why it's so chilling after. But basically he said, quote, Supposing I did kill the Black Dahlia. They can't prove it now. They can't talk to my secretary anymore because she's dead. They thought there was something fishy. Anyway, now they may have figured it out. Killed her. Maybe I did kill my secretary. End quote. Like, what? I think that George 
knowing all these politicians and all these police officers, I think he knew. I think someone tipped him off that there were bugs in his household and there were wiretaps on his phone. And the audacity of this man to mock the LAPD by openly talking about it like this, it just, if you listen to the recording, it sounds arrogant. It sounds like he honestly is like tempting the LAPD to make a wrong move. Like he is just taunting the detectives of the Black Dahlia murder, of his secretary's overdose investigation. It is sketchy. It is very, very, very sketchy. And basically, in October of 1949, Hodel's name was mentioned in a formal written report to the grand jury as one of the five prime suspects in the short murder. But none of the named suspects were submitted to the grand jury for consideration for indictment as the investigation was still, quote, ongoing. This is a whole mess. I mean, there are so many things in this case that I could just point out and go off about. Like the, just the incompetence of the police department, the corruption of the police department, how much they fumbled things. And I understand, you know, like there wasn't a lot to go on. You know, they didn't have a lot of evidence and the evidence that they did collect, they compromised during transit. They had those partial prints and they were lucky to get them and then they were very unfortunate to lose them. And it's just really disheartening. Now let's fast forward to 1950. One of the detectives that was leading the investigation in April of 1950 felt as though that he had gathered enough evidence to charge Dr. George Hodel Jr. in the murder of the Black Dahlia. But guess what George Hodel did? He fled the United States. Now, if I have something to hide, I'm going to run. If there is something I don't have to hide, if I'm telling the truth, I'm going to face it head on. This guy is loaded with money. He could have the basically the best group of lawyers in town he could have the equivalent of oj simpson's lawyers like there is no doubt about it and he knew it but for some reason one reason or another and we'll never know he left the united states and he didn't come home from the philippines which is where he fled in 1950 until 1990 he returned to the United States. He was gone for 40 years. And unfortunately, Dr. Hodel Jr. passed away in 1999 in San Francisco without charges ever being filed against him in the murder of the Black Dahlia. Now, the best part of this theory is that his son... Steve Hodel, who, plot twist, became a member of the LAPD and thoroughly looked into his father's investigation, swears up and down that his father is a serial killer and that he believes that his dad would re-enter the United States multiple times a year to commit more murders 
and then return to the Philippines. He thinks that his dad is the Black Dahlia murderer. And it's just crazy. If you listen to some of his interviews, you know, a lot of people dismiss it, but a lot of experts can't say one way or another if the picture that he has that was found in his dad's little black book is of Elizabeth Short or not. Also, the handwriting from one of the letters is almost identical to George Hodel Jr.'s handwriting. And Steve really fights. Steve is fighting for Black Dahlia, and he has no doubt in his mind that his dad killed Elizabeth Short. In fact, when he reopened the investigation, he had brought cadaver dogs over to his father's house and the cadaver dogs found remains at the house they physically couldn't let me rephrase that because it's not entirely true they didn't find remains but the cadaver dogs signaled that there had been a dead body in their yard at some point but basically digging through everything they couldn't find any skeletal remains any anything at all because I mean we're talking you know 40 years later I mean this is just absolutely insane and it's just crazy because Steve also accused his dad of being the Chicago lipstick killer and even San Francisco's uh, Zodiac killer because of the similarities between the Black Dahlia murder and the Zodiac killer's murders Basically, the case has gone cold. No one has been able to confidently say with absolute certainty that so-and-so killed the Black Dahlia. And it has been cold since 1947. And we're now in 2021, which is insane. So basically, the chief of detectives... Some of the police, it's just some of their statements are just so whack. Like, looking at my notes, the chief of detectives, Thad Brown, said, quote, the Black Dahlia case was solved. He was a doctor who lived on Franklin Avenue in Hollywood, end quote. LAPD chief of police, William Parker, quote, we identified the Black Dahlia suspect. He was a doctor, end quote. LASD undersheriff James Downey, quote, the Black Dahlia case was solved, but it will never come out. It was a doctor they all knew in Hollywood involved in abortions, end quote. Just so you know, George Hodel was involved in all of the abortions in Hollywood. He was always performing them illegally, and he would hold his clients to that information, and that's why he was able to blackmail a lot of his clients into not reporting him for financial fraud. DA Lieutenant Frank Jemison, which is the guy that was basically about to serve George Hodel before he fled the country, said, quote, we know who the Black Dahlia killer was. He was a doctor, but we didn't have enough to put him away. I think that all of them believe that it was him, but I think that George Hodel Jr. had a lot of help, and I think he had a lot of help on the inside, and he was arrogant, and he knew he was going to get away with it, and he taunted the police, and unfortunately, possibly, he did get away with it, but we'll never know. Um, maybe in a hundred years, someone will discover some piece of evidence in the middle of nowhere that will point to the direction of the killer, but 
as of January 5th, 2021, the Black Dahlia murder remains unsolved. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I appreciate all of you so much. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. I think it's so interesting. I think everyone should look into it. I mean, my imagination just ran wild. And I just, I hope that in my lifetime, a lot of these unsolved murders that we hear about will become solved thanks to technology today. I hope everyone has a good rest of your day. And I can't wait to see you guys on Saturday with a very special guest that is actually, ironically enough, living in LA. Thank you guys so much. Bye.